and welcome to another episode of the Corporate Activist Podcast with me, Siri Kalsa. I'm very excited to have Rebecca Holiday as my guest today. Rebecca has a lot of cross-sector experience and is now bringing that expertise to an organization called Groundswell, where she is the Director of Impact. Groundswell is a charitable giving platform that modernizes and democratizes corporate philanthropy. She leads efforts to curate content that educates and inspires platform users to donate to a diverse range of nonprofits. Prior to joining Groundswell, Rebecca served in several roles at CARE, a humanitarian nonprofit, worked with USAID and the Department of State, and has also served as a senior corporate responsibility advisor at Chevron. So she brings a really broad perspective to our conversation today. Welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. Happy to be here. So Rebecca, you've you've had lots of really interesting jobs <laughs> that I, I want to dive into because I think they're all relevant. Um, but let's just start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got interested in impact work. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it's not like some sort of uh, premeditated, you know, uh, career journey um, or career plan, um, you know, in some ways. And I, as I think back about it and, and look back, it's like, I, I played music growing up. I played classical music with my siblings. Um, and we were uh, involved in a music school in Los Angeles that had sort of an outreach program to local schools that didn't or were not unable to offer music programs to the students there. And so at a sort of early age, I got a glimpse of, um, you know, what uh, inequality looks like in terms of, um, you know, quality of education, um, you know, the, 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 the conditions that that students face, and I think that can be sort of a you know uh, an example of, of, of broader challenges that 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 young people face and, and families face, um, not only in Los Angeles but in this country and the world. So that was sort of like a, a taste for me, um, and a little bit about like service and giving back. Um, and, and, and from there, I, I think I always was just sort of curious about the world and, and wanting to, you know, get out of my own bubble. Um, I, I was, I was, you know, very privileged growing up and, and lived a comfortable life. And so I studied abroad in South Africa, did a semester in Cape Town and really kind of steeped myself in the, the political, um, history of that country with apartheid. Um, and, and then when I was in graduate school, uh, Hurricane Katrina had just hit New Orleans and, uh, I ended up uh, traveling down to New Orleans with a group of students, uh, fellow students from my graduate uh, program, and and we partnered at a sort of a like hyper local community level to to think about how to chart a path to recovery. Um, and in those early days, I think as well, um, I was uh, inspired by you know those on the front lines knowing you know how best to you know have agency and to be empowered to to figure out what's right. You know we were coming in from you know, the, the Northeast and we didn't know anything about New Orleans, but we were able to sort of support them and give them the tools. So all that's to say, I think it's, it's, you know, different experiences in my sort of earlier, um, you know, life and career kind of informed then sort of a, a desire to continue to, you know, work to make the world a better place as trite as that may sound. Um, but also that it can be done in different ways and in different organizations and different sectors. Hmm. And so did you immediately have thoughts about wanting to go into public service um, in terms of like working with the government or um, did you have any specific ideas about where you might like to work? You know, to be completely honest, I I didn't have sort of a a pre-designed sort of, you know, 
notion. I mean, when I was at the Kennedy School, I, I studied a lot of different things. I took a, a human rights class with um, Michael Ignatieff. Um, and then I was doing the work around Katrina, which was around public-private partnerships and really sort of about local government and, um, you know, um, what's happening at city levels. Um, but I did have the opportunity um, to also take courses around sort of the inner, you know, foreign policy and national security. So um, I, I love that as well. I mean, I, you know, I think I'm the sort of quintessential generalist, you know, throw me in anywhere. Uh, and, and so I ended up at the State Department focusing on Iran issues. And then, you know, after a, a time, then was able to then sort of have an opportunity to go overseas and work in Pakistan and Afghanistan and, and, and then sort of moving from the sort of policy space into what I think was more fulfilling for me, which was, you know, um, development programs and, and really kind of rolling up my sleeves and partnering with local nonprofits and, and, and local, you know, um, community leaders to determine how best to improve people's lives. Not easy. (laughs) (laughs) No, super complicated. (laughs) But it sounds like um, you've had lots of opportunities given, um, you know, our world is is facing a lot of challenges these days. So there's no shortage of things to do. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. So one of the reasons that I I thought it would be really interesting to talk today was because you have this title of director of impact, which is something that I want to get into a little bit later. But um, first, tell us a little bit about Groundswell, because I, I'm just learning about it myself. And it, it it's something um, really unique and, and I think has a really interesting approach to addressing some of the shortcomings in the philanthropic, you know, in, in sort of philanthropic giving, which um, I know that I've found some problems and, and been frustrated at times. And so I'm, I'm curious at their approach. Yeah. Well, um, and, and just to say, I think, you know, for me to have an opportunity to work at a place like Groundswell is great because it allows me to leverage some nonprofit experience that I have, as well as working in the, in the private sector and, and with companies. So um, Groundswell, uh, as you mentioned in your intro, you know, it's, it's a corporate giving platform for companies. Um, and it really allows um, companies to, um, as we say, democratize and decentralize their philanthropy, right? So um, many companies will have maybe um, a, a corporate social responsibility team or some sort of higher level executives that decide they want to write big checks to causes that maybe align with what their company does or just issues that they think are important, right? Um, and, and that's fine. And, and we're not saying that we need to necessarily need to replace that. But what we are trying to do is give companies the opportunity to decentralize that process and give and empower employees to, um, you know, to also sort of express what causes and issues that they care most about. So the notion of a charitable giving program or a, a, even what they call sort of a matching program is not necessarily new. But historically, the participation levels have been really low. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And we think that what we've built is going to help to increase the levels of engagement and participation. And ultimately, the whole point is to help facilitate um, and and mobilize more funding for nonprofits and the important causes that they are working on. Right. So a lot of it is about the experience of giving, which which I think is actually really interesting because I, I think it, it can be complicated to 
you know, sort of wade through charities and, and understand, you know, are, are they doing what we want them to do? Or, or maybe you know exactly, you know, where you want to give. And are you guys operating both nationally and internationally in terms of charities that you support? So right now we are focused primarily on um, the platform uh, pulls from the IRS database of U.S. 501c3 charities. Now, I will, I will note that there are a number, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of organizations that may have a U.S. based sort of headquarters or, or, or office, and they do work all around the world. My, my former um, organization, CARE, certainly was one of those, right, where uh, headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia, but worked in, you know, 35 some odd countries of, of, that were under the sort of CARE USA purview. We are uh, in conversations with an organization called Global Giving that would get, give us access to thousands more international nonprofits. And so it's just a matter of timing to how to, you know, and figuring out how best to integrate on our platform. But we, you know, I, I think there a couple things, um, you know, as we grow, we know that um, companies that have employees overseas want to offer this to their employees as well. Uh, and, and I think the the sort of, you know, where one works and, and sort of a greater um, openness to remote work and hybrid, I think, means that, you know, charitable giving is is no longer centralized at, at the point where maybe a company is headquartered to. And I think, you know, the the um, decentralization and the democratization that you talk about is actually really innovative, right? Because I think what we're seeing is that both in a desire for people to be able to express their values at work, but maybe not knowing whether their own values align with the corporate values or whether the corporate values are, you know, way out of line with, um, with what you personally might want. And so, you know, this was something that came up, um, during January 6th, right? When everyone, um, realized that they, you know, some of their companies had corporate PACs and that, that money was going towards Republicans that, you know, they, they didn't even know about. And so, um, you know, it's, this seems like a really interesting solution to that, to allow um, still the importance of, of giving through corporations, which, which I want to get into as well, but, but allowing employees to have both, you know, an ease of use, um, a certain amount of privacy, and also just to, to align their giving with their own values and not have to, not to have to think that it has to also resonate with the corporation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think even if, uh, you know, a company there, again, a, a charitable giving platform is not necessarily a novel idea, but in addition to a matching process that lacks privacy with some of the legacy players, um, they also often res- still restrict where employees can donate. And so I, I know um, a company that was so kind of afraid to, um, you know, come down on one side or the other of Roe versus Wade that they eliminated both you know, any charity on either side of that issue. And I think, you know, I understand why they might want to do that because their name is you know, because they're making the match and it's more of a visible and, and sort of like a close connection to that donation. They may just want to not, not step in it, so to speak. But I think it really, um, you know, leaves the employees feeling a lack of agency. And as you say, you know, not able to, um, you know, feel like their, their values are, are appreciated in, in their, you know, by their company. So. And so what is your, 
your sort of target market in terms of the kind of customers that you're looking for? Is it big companies, small companies? All of the above in many ways. So I think one of the things about our our platform is that, um, you know, if you have a mobile phone, um, you know, where you can download the app on Google, uh, Google Play Store, Android or iOS. Um, And so, um, and and the implementation um, and the administration of it is very, very simple. So we have companies with 30 employees um, who maybe can't afford or want to pay for a huge, you know, CSR impact solution or, or big program, but want to be able to give empower their employees and have a, a modest matching program. And, and we can we can help them with that. But we're also, you know, looking and partnering with companies now in the thousands and tens of thousands of of employees. So it's it's you know, I think um, we really do believe that um, increasingly. Um, you know, a sort of corporate purpose and, and the, the notion of sort of, of, of giving back is becoming table stakes for a younger generation of employees. And so companies that might not have, you know, had to consider a charitable giving kind of strategy or program, I think are coming to us and saying, we've never done this before, help us. Or we've been doing this manually with receipts and a, you know, a super burdensome process, help us truly modernize it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great, and and we'll we'll definitely have a, a link in the show notes to it so people can check it out. Um, I'm sort of curious, you know, what you're doing here to you know on the platform is bringing together corporate money and and charities and nonprofits that need that money, and I'm sort of curious um, how you see the relationship developing because you've worked on both sides, <laughs> and you know how. First of all, maybe how dependent or how reliant are nonprofits on corporate money? You know, is that becoming something that they're they're after more and more, or what? What are you seeing there? I think it really depends. I mean, so if you think about in the United States, there are about one point five million nonprofits, and so you know, um, and and a, a huge percentage of those have revenue of less than fifty thousand dollars a year. So we're talking about Again, hyper local, um, you know, some some providing some social services for for communities in need, um, you know, really small animal shelters, you name it. Um, uh, it's their food pantries. Um, so I think you know, for for really really small organizations, they they don't necessarily think about like fundraising from companies per se. I think they also really rely on small dollar donations. And that's where, again, Groundswell kind of can bridge that gap because, you know, we are offering a solution where employees could donate $10 here, $15 there. Um, I got a call the other day from a, 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 an animal nonprofit that was just like over the moon, ecstatic and thankful for a $50 donation, right? So, however, I will say that for many nonprofits, especially larger ones, yeah, the, the, the corporate fundraising is really important. Um, and especially where they feel like they can, you know, like support issues that are aligning with companies, right? So like, I think obviously when it comes to like a workforce development or workforce pipeline, there's a lot of really, you know, great STEM, you know, science, technology, education, um, engineering and math, sorry, uh, nonprofits out there. Um, and, and so I think, um, but it really, it really does depend. And I think, um, you know, I remember thinking back on, you know, at, at CARE, 
Um, I think, you know, larger nonprofits all, all still really do also look at the sort of high net worth, the big dollar, you know, individual donors as well. So I also think, though, it, you know, can um, be beneficial to partner with companies for and for a nonprofit to get funding from a company, because I think it can open up doors for, I think, new ways of even looking at, you know, I, I think the collaboration can be can be fruitful. Um, and sometimes it doesn't always have to be um, like a pure donation. So one interesting example, when I was at CARE, and we were sort of um, dipping our toes into, or trying to figure out how we could kind of add value in, in the United States during the COVID pandemic. And so food insecurity was a huge challenge. Uh, food banks and food pantries were stretched to the limit in terms of, you know, supporting those who were food insecure. Um, but also those food pantries and food banks really relied on volunteers and a lot of other sort of in-kind donations that sort of disappeared because people were quarantining. People weren't showing up to volunteer anywhere. And volunteering wasn't even really allowed in those early days. Um, and so we came in and said, okay, well, we're not a food, ex you know, we're not a food organization, but we um, were a large organization that could um, get companies like DoorDash and TaskRabbit to the table and said, okay, you all are really good at, you know, mobilizing people and then delivering food to, or certainly in the case of DoorDash, you can, you're really good at sending food to people in, in normal days, right? Someone orders a meal from a restaurant. Well, let's, let's take that model and adapt it for, you know, this context and, and let's have you pick up a, a parcel of food, a, a bag of food for someone in need and deliver it to them, right? Deliver it to their doorstep. So I think there, and, and we, we, you know, we were able to, um, you know, get sort of like credits or like a pro bono kind of, you know, it was like a discounted price from, from DoorDash and, and TaskRabbit as well. They sort of supplied some of those or supplanted the volunteer workforce that had sort of disappeared at these, at these food banks. So I think there's like really, I think there's more sort of creative ways as well that nonprofits can um, benefit from partnerships with corporations where it's like you're, you, you know, the, the sum is um, greater than the individual parts. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what you're saying makes sense also in terms of, um, let's say the, the millennials and the, the Gen Zers who, um, you know, probably want to give money, but they also want to, um, maybe get more involved and, and be able to volunteer or be able to, um, you know, spend time with, with the cause. Um, and I, and I think also have that sense of purpose connected to their daily work. Right. Um, so, you know, that that's something that I think more and more companies are going to have to do in a in a really um, tangible way. <laughs> and so I wonder, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your experience at Chevron, because I really want to know about it. <laughs> because here's one of, you know, the world's giant companies. What was, what was good about it? You know, did, what, did you have all this money that you could just splash around everywhere? And then Maybe what was bad about it when you tried to bring up things that people just didn't want to hear. So I'd love to hear whatever you whatever you're willing to share about that experience. <laughs> of course, no, and I, you know I think it's um, yeah it's it's been a, it's been a while. So just you know my only caveat is that I, I left the company in early 2017. Um, I was there for about five years. But so what I I mean I, I learned so much working there, right? And I think. Um, and, and part, and I learned some of this as well, working in the government when, you know, it was a, maybe a, a, a 
administration that I didn't necessarily, you know, fully align with, right? I think you can, the, the notion that you can affect change from within, that sort of entrepreneurial um, attitude, for me is really important. And, you know, um, so part of my role at Chevron was to take what had been a, a, a human rights policy had been sort of formalized and, and codified on paper, right? Um, which not, not all companies do that, right? It wasn't a requirement. The interesting thing about the oil and gas sector is because there is a microscope on it and because of the sort of sheer breadth and depth of, of the operations, especially in these large, these large companies where there's, uh, you know, operations both for on the exploration side, so we call upstream, and then as well as the sort of downstream side of the refineries and then the sort of retail gas stations. It's huge, right? And so, you know, everyone's watching them. Um, and so th- the irony is that many of these companies like Chevron have, you know, put a lot of resources and attention towards trying to at least get a little bit ahead of, of what may come down and sort of inter- on the regulatory side of the fence. Um, so the human rights policy was one where, okay, we have that on paper, but what does it mean to implement that, right? And and what does it mean with regards to the way in which, um, you know, the company engages with local communities, um, you know, issues in its supply chain, and not just, you know, there's like the different tiers in the supply chain space that's super, super complex and hard to unpack. Um, and so, you know, there's, and then, and then on the security side, so I worked really closely with the global security team and said, okay, here's how you need to not only, and, and you, you know, we have our headquarters, but then you have local security teams in different countries. Um, and then some of the requirements there are that they have to partner with the local government security forces. And so the sort of in, like, part of it is like unpacking the complexity of the operating environment. And then, and then really sort of finding like partners, both at the corporate level, but also at a local level to in sort of champions to say, okay, you're, you're kind of like my human rights ambassador and you're, um, you know, help me, uh, you know, I'm going to help in, kind of persuade you of the, the why this is good for the business, but I can't be the only one shouting from the rooftops about why it's important. So, so, so part of that was like forging partnerships within the organization and, and working to, um, you know, both sort of put into practice what is on the, when it was on the pages of the, of the paper. Um, you mentioned sort of the idea of having resources and, and funding, and that's true, right? I mean, the, 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 the big checks that are written, you know, by, by large companies when it comes to, you know, nonprofit partnerships, et cetera, are, are quite significant. A challenge there for a large sort of global organization is that, you know, someone from headquarters, you know, I was on a team where there are a lot of us who had background working for the U.S. Agency for International Development. We were sort of steeped in the best practices and principles on of, of good development practices and engaging with like local stakeholders and designing a program you know, in a theory of change and all of that stuff, but you get to the, you know, out to the business unit where the program or project is being implemented. And there are a whole bunch of other factors that come into play and that are a little bit out of your control. So the, the, you know, the head of the business unit in, you know, a certain country, I'm not going to name it, you know, has, has very clear expectations of what the project should look like because his, the, 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 counterpart at the local government level wants it, right? Not because it's the, you know, good program design pr- principles and practices. So I think the the realities of like the, the business drivers, you know, butt up against sort of like a pure kind of like impact or development kind of approach. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons that I really want to see the corporate sector become more involved is that 
I think that the charity model is kind of broken in terms of um, being so reliant on donations, right? Because you get, you know, perhaps you get these really talented CEOs and what are they doing? They're spending 95% of their time just raising money and reporting and, you know, smiling for donors and, you know, they're not lending that expertise necessarily to the organization um, to help, you know, build that and grow that. And, you know, and, and once you're that dependent on, um, you know, on a certain donor, and then maybe their, you know, maybe their conditions change and you don't get that money that, that year, um, you know, you're, the, the whole organization can be put in jeopardy. And so, you know, I really think that that's why, you know, I'd love to see corporations become more involved in this um, in terms of helping promote causes, working towards things in a very sustainable, ongoing way where the work of that organization is actually part of the, the business model um, so that it's never a question of can we do this or can we not, but it's just, this is how we work. But that's, you know, that's a pretty big change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's important though. Yeah. But I, I think the, what you're doing with Groundswell looks like it's one of those um, ways of kind of changing it, you know, and, and, um, and I think it, it's hopefully going to, you know, have a, have a great impact. Yeah. I mean, I would also just say, you know, I think it's, philanthropy is not a monolith, right? So, you know, there's, there's the ways that corporations, companies, you know, step, step up and step into the space, you know, with, with their expertise and with their understanding of how to build and grow and sustain an, uh, uh, an enterprise. Right. Um, but I think there's still, you know, frontline, super small nonprofits that do rely on those, just those donations, right. Whether you want to call it charity or not, I think that that's still, is is a, a piece of the puzzle right and i think um you know but but i think it's also to say that um you know for for someone to feel like they are contributing to a cause even by but through just giving ten dollars is to make that it's still meaningful and it's still impactful and the idea of groundswell literally by you know nature of our the word the the name of our company is that every little bit can then amount to to greater impact right and so um, I mean, we the, the diversity of nonprofits that people are are finding and donating to on our platform. Some are from that those that are I've you know we've curated around recent tragedies and with gun violence, or it's Autism Awareness Month right now, or you know the the tur- earthquake in Turkey. People donate there, but others are just donating to again their, the, what's happening in their local communities. And I think last. Last month, 75% of all donations were to a unique nonprofit. And I think that's, that speaks to sort of an, uh, the notion that, yes, there's a place for writing big checks and having a more sort of like big strategy for how to, you know, um, you know corporate philanthropy or, or just broader philanthropic kind of, you know, strategies, but that there, there is this like, appetite for and, and power for you know, everyday citizens and employees to, to show up and, and, you know, um, support the causes that matter most to them. Yeah. And, and feel connected both to their company for, for that opportunity and also to the, to the cause that they're, they're donating to. So win-win, right? So 
the last thing I wanted to ask you about was um, your title of Director of Social Impact, because it's a title I think that we're we're seeing more of and we're going to see more of. And I'm really just curious um, how you see that developing and if perhaps we have some young people listening who maybe want to go into this field and would think, oh, yeah, I'd really love to be director of social impact for a big company or for another group. Um, what, you know, what are the skills that are needed? How, how do you get into a position like that? And, and where do you see this role? How you know, important is it in the, the scheme of things? Yeah. Well, I like to think it's an important role, um, but, but, but to be like, perfectly honest, you know, it still does get cut as well, right? If, if budgets are tight, you know, CFOs and others will say, oh, well, we don't need a big impact team. We can do, they can do more with less, which, you know, I think is, is a challenge right now in, in the current sort of economic climate. But, but yes, I think um, we talk about sort of both an expectation by employees to have a feeling of, you know, connecting purpose to their work. And that then often manifests by a company then having sort of formalizing that through an impact team or, or, you know, a couple of people, I think you saw an increase in the number of um, DEI roles that have been formalized and created as well. Sometimes it's all kind of nested, nestled together. Sometimes it's separated out. I would say, I mean, the reality is that it's, there's no sort of standard, um, template or title or way in, or, or even where it sits in an organization. It depends on usually the size of the company, the industry that it's in, right? Some companies have more of an environmental focus. And so the role may be focused more around sustainability and the E in ESG. Um, and then others, it may be, you know, a, a sort of a, the community engagement and, and social impact kind of department in a different place. So, um, you know, I think as I look back at, you know, the, the winding path that I've taken, um, you know, like I said, it wasn't like I, I you know, started coming out of college and said, okay, here's where I want to get to. And this is, this is the way I'm going to do it. Um, you know, I, I think part of it is that I've always been really open-minded about the roles that I've taken. Right. And I think I've learned a lot working within more challenging organizations, right? You know, it's not always easy working in the oil and gas sector. It's not easy working in the, in the federal government, right? It's not even always easy working for a really large nonprofit, right? So um, I would say I have sort of a black belt in bureaucracy. I, you know, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and now we're going to start up, which is so fun. Um, but I think... I think understanding that this space is is almost um, definitionally intersectional and or interdisciplinary, so that you could work at a nonprofit, but like be on the corporate partnerships team, right? And then if if your ultimate goal is to go sort of maybe more in house at a company, um, or there's a lot of different kind of um, other like like an intermediary type organization like a groundswell or or even like some of the like chambers of commerce, like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has a has a whole entity called the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, and then they have these sort of you know thematic practice areas, and and companies engage and try to learn you know how to kind of better improve their their work through those. So, um, it, it's I'd say it's a interesting space that is it's you know it's not like you go to law school and you take the LSAT and then you become a lawyer and that's sort of the path, right? It's it's much more winding. Um, 
And then obviously, if you're focused more on sort of like domestic issues versus international, that may impact kind of the work, you know, or the experience that is required as well. Um, so I, I realize I've given not a super clear answer, but, and I think, look, increasingly there are courses and, and even programs that are focused on, on these issues that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago, I think. So it's obviously being recognized as more of a sort of field, um, but the path to getting like a specific role, I think, is is still a little bit up for, um, you know, sort of depending upon. Yeah, I mean, just at its core, like just networking and, and connecting with people and staying in touch. I think it's still you can't you can't beat that and you can't yeah. replace that, too. Yeah. And as you say, I think for the moment, because it hasn't been sort of standardized yet, you have. DEI, you have ESG, you have sustainability, you have impact, you know, there's all these kind of different words and different um, perspectives on it. And so it's not really, you know, there isn't, as I know, uh, yet a degree in, you know, social impact or something where you can say, okay, I'm going to get this degree, and then I'm going to get this job. And, um, but I think, you know, what we talked about earlier, um, having cross-sector experience, knowing how things work in government, knowing how things work in businesses, and also understanding the nonprofit sector is certainly, you know, a, a good a good start to that. And then, you know, I think also just being really pragmatic because, you know, in the end, it is about being able to affect change. And um, that that's really challenging. <laughs> but you've, you know, you've had a lot of experience with that in very difficult places. And perhaps um, doing that in difficult places is one of the one of the skill sets that that's helping you now. <laughs> For me, it's to not be a purist or to not, you know, or to not come in and say I my way or the highway or I know best. So to be humble, um, but also to realize that sometimes and we used to say it in my, my job at USAID and OTI, like 80, 20, right? Like, like we don't, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. But let's, let's, let's move, let's move the ball down the field. Right. And so I think there's so many places where it's important to be flexible and open-minded. Um, and you know, the human rights work at Chevron was super challenging and we certainly, (laughs) a lot of room for improvement, but, but like I had to get my foot in the door and, and to, to build the trust and the rapport with, the team in Bangladesh or the team in Nigeria, very different teams. And so just to be, um, yeah, open-minded about, you know, what, what was necessary to affect even a little bit of change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also I think being, um, sensitive to the environment, right. And understanding that there are limitations and that there are things that you won't, you know, I mean, you know, when we were in Afghanistan, it felt like, you know, it was sort of this onion that you'd peel back one labor layer and find another layer and another layer and another layer. And we were never on top, you know, we, we you know, we were never, um, I think, seeing the whole picture um, as much as we, we thought we wanted to and we thought we could. So really understanding these, the environments where you're working, um, is, is always a challenge. Well, is there anything else you, you want to mention about um, what you're doing with Groundswell or? No, I mean, I think just to say again, like it's um, obviously I'm, I'm super excited about where we are and where we're going um, and, and seeing such sort of great engagement and participation levels from our from our customers. You know, again, when corporate traditional corporate matching programs have hovered in the 
10, 15% level. You know, we just launched on April 1st with, with uh, a, a large advertising firm based out of Chicago. And we're, we're already at 30% um, enrollment um, in the program. And so I guess it's, and what, what I love, uh, you know, we talk about, I mean, measuring impact, but what's neat about where I am now is that it is so much more tangible because, you know, it's like, okay, we see the number of people on the platform and then the actual dollars flowing through and being donated to the, to the different causes and nonprofits on the other side. So it's, it's really exciting to see. And it's like the sky's the limit. I'm so excited to see where we're going. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting also to see how the, the companies then, um, you know, to tell that story, you know, share this story with their with their customers, right? And and how they talk about um, the empowerment of their employees in in their own giving, and you know, it'd be interesting to see sort of the ripple effects of it. Yeah, and we're we, you know we built the administrative portal so that you can really access that data more easily and more quickly and in real time. So that to really support that storytelling um, is I think is powerful because then. If you can show that there's there's a you know your 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 customers customers care or the, the stakeholders in their ecosystem believe in it that will I mean support more you know maybe they'll increase the budget and increase the match and you know again sort of the imp- impact is further um, amplified. Yeah, and and we're hoping to also see um, that it this sort of engagement, the sense of purpose, um, helps with, uh, retention and recruitment, um, at, at organizations also. So, yeah, so great all around. Um, well, Rebecca, thanks so much. You've been fabulous. Um, I'd love to wrap up with my two wrap up questions. <laughs> so the first one is what is something that's made you laugh this week? Well, I, um, I actually love being at work and there's plenty of funny things that happen here. I'm in the office most days, but uh, I also have two small kids. And as we mentioned, I mentioned to you when we were chatting before this began, uh, spent the weekend, the Easter weekend um, with my, with my family, my, my parents and my sister and her family, including her two small kids. And so um, got to wake up on Easter morning with the, with the big reveal of the Easter baskets and, and the kids running up the stairs. And I think what made me laugh, well, first of all, is this like, as I get older, like seeing the world again through my kids' eyes is just, it can be funny, but it also is just a really special thing. But, but the, the thing that made me just giggle, and I've watched the video a million times over is uh, the kids finding their Easter baskets and my four-year-old screaming, the Easter bunny is real, you know, <laughs> and just this, like the, the sheer wonder and amazement. And I just, it, it brings me joy and laughter and all the things. So that's my little, <laughs> that was, that was on Sunday. How old are your boys? Uh, four and seven. Yeah. A fun time, I imagine. <laughs> and then the second question is, um, is there a brand, a company, a service that you use that you think is doing a great job in the ethical space that you'd like to give a shout out to? So this is a great question. Um, I, I love, I, I don't eat it too often cause it's, it's not particularly healthy, but Tony's chocolate only is a, is a chocolate brand. So when I was at care, I did, had many roles at care, but one was um, running care consulting and advisory services practice. And so we had this big project kind of unpacking and really like diving into the, the complexities of the cocoa sector in Cote d'Ivoire in Ghana. 
And I just learned a lot about the challenges and, but also got to learn about some of the brands um, that are, are working to, to try to, you talk about affect some change, even if it's not fully solving all the problems. And they're one of those companies. So I got, I was at a conference where talking about responsible sourcing in the, in the cocoa sector. And so um, I had the benefit of really getting to like peek under the hood, but I, you know, knowing that um, I will happily munch those chocolate bars, <laughs> just not too many of them. <laughs> yes. And yes, I love the name big. and the packaging is cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're great. And they're, you know, I, I saw a quote from uh, someone with their, from their company who said, you know, we're not a chocolate company, we're a social justice company that happens to be making chocolate. And I think that's sort of, you know, a bit in the Ben and Jerry's model as well. But um, they, they do seem to be doing um, really good work in a very challenging sector. And the fact that we can all eat chocolate that we feel good about, you know, all the better. Slightly less guilty. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much. Um, we will include some links um, in the show notes uh, for people so they can check out Groundswell. Thank you very much. It's been a really good conversation. My pleasure. It was great chatting about all these things. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Corporate Activist. Please stay tuned for future episodes and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Corp Activist. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions of your own or need some advice about corporate activism, social impact, or political engagement, please do send them our way and we will respond in future episodes. The Corporate Activist is brought to you by Stance Advocacy Services and is produced by the good people at the Podcast Boutique. I'm your host, Siri Kulsa. Ciao for now.